this is our anchor passage, and I want us to fasten ourselves onto it. Is that okay? I am reading from the King James translation for a very specific reason. I know that it's possibly a little bit more difficult for you to understand, but I want to just say something to you. If you want to study the Word, this is the Bible. If you just want to read, just general reading, read any other translation that you find easy to understand. But if you want to study, because every word, every word is specific. Every word is there for a purpose. And you'll miss out on great truths if you don't use the King James, because he uses same words, same words, and they pair together and build up the picture. So here it is. And John is seeing these revelations. John chapter 4, heaven open. Other places he's seeing, you know, the tabernacle open, the temple open, and so on. And so basically what he's seeing is everything's opening up. So, and then in chapter 5, and I saw in the right hand of him, that is God, sitting on the throne, a book, a scroll, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, one of the themes that goes throughout, and, you know, if I throw something in every time, if all of this is new to you, if you go onto our Facebook page, on the church page, you will see the previous two messages, and then you can catch up, and it'll put today's in context. Is that all right? A couple of times in the book of Revelation, John hears this statement about Jesus, he who is, who was, and who is to come. Or you can say, who was, who is, who is to come. In other words, past, present, and future. And uh, when he looks at the book written on the backside and on the inside with seven seals, what he's seeing is what is and what was. And it's only later he just opens up a little bit of what is to come. And uh, earlier on he says, you know, in Revelation chapter 1, I'm writing this to tell you what will soon take place. The word soon there is not a time period of 2,000 more years. The word soon there is something that's going to happen within the next few hours or days, if you look at it in the Greek. Is that all right? And so I saw in the right hand of him, they sat on the throne, a book written on, on, on the backside, sealed with seven seals. It was sealed. It was a sealed book, seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open this book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven or on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. Sometime later, I will do maybe, I'll just do a little bit more on the realms. Glory, heaven, earth, and then under the earth. And no man in heaven or in the earth, neither under the earth, was then able to open, neither to look thereon. Oh, yeah, and then I mentioned last time the pit, the abyss, shale, you know, that kind of thing. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. In other words, this book which was sealed, was going to be opened. So this is the series that I'm doing. First thing is, what is the book? Why is it sealed? And who sealed it? When was it sealed? And now it's open, but we've got an idea from the context who it is that's opening this book. But we still want to know what the book is. And then what is the opening of the book? What does it mean for us? Because everything in the Bible is not just theology, it's also practical for us. And he says, And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Well, here's the key in the context. So the lamb is going to open the book. And as having been slain means that with his death on the cross, that was the beginning of the opening. Is that all good? Is that all good? Having seven horns and seven eyes, which is all authority and all wisdom and power, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him, that's God, that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, everyone having them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. And I heard, behold, 
The voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. We heard in the worship how millions of angels lie fast down before him and sing glory and honor dominion, saying, With a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and ever. The twenty-four elders, twelve of the old, twelve of the new, talking about the completed church. Okay. All right. So is everybody happy? So we've done a bit of Bible reading this morning. So we are going to start. My question that I want to answer is this. The question that I asked you was, what is the scroll? Why is it sealed? Who sealed it? And when was it sealed? Now, I spoke a bit last week, so maybe we can just review. Daniel comes along. Now, Daniel was an awesome man. Deported, probably around 16 years of age, around 605 BC, somewhere around there where King Nebuchadnezzar, the Assyrian king, king of Babylon, came conquered Jerusalem and, did, and began some of the deportations, probably 16 years of age. And with them, all other young noblemen. And they would take out the wisest, the richest, you know, um, the strongest. They would take them and deport them and put them into their country and, and uh, just leave a few people. Then they would put into that country people from other countries so they could never get back their identity again, yeah. national identity. So they're taken in. So one of the first things that happened, doesn't tell you in the Bible, but because it just mentions the word eunuch. Now, eunuch is a tragedy. And what happens at the age of 16 years, these young men were castrated, first thing. Because they were going to be trained up to be in the presence of the king. And the last thing the king wanted was for them to mess with his harem. So he castrates them. So now, taken away their manhood change their culture, change their name. He's got to eat the food of kings, etc., etc., etc. But here's Daniel, foreign country, and he remains completely dedicated to his God. Amen. Faithful man, studying the scriptures. He was prepared to have his head chopped off, not to eat the food of the king. And he stood all those years, all of those years, calling out to God for his nation, calling out to God for his people, all of those years. Searching the scriptures that he had. He didn't have a book of Daniel to read. You know, he didn't have a New Testament. He didn't have revelations like we got. And so he's studying, but he did have Jeremiah. And so in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, he starts to read that God has decreed 70 years that will be their captivity. But he does have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, in Deuteronomy and maybe some of the other writings. He does have some of those. Yeah. And so he understands the historical part that was written in the Torah. He's got that. And I don't know how many other prophets that he had. I don't know if he had any of Isaiah's writings. I'm not sure of that. I'd have to look up. But he starts to read and he, and he realizes the captivity will be 70 years. Yeah. Now, let's just go back. This is Adam. This is in the beginning. And somewhere along the line comes Moses with the law. And, uh, and then a bit later comes, uh, let's just say, Samuel and uh, the prophet. And, and it was during his time that they rejected God totally, the people of Israel, and said, we want a king like other nations. And so ends the time of the theocracy. It ends the time where God would rule through prophets and judges and things like this. And then it comes into a time of the kingdoms of initially of Israel and Judah combined, but then later they separated around about Solomon's time after Solomon, and it became Israel and Judah, Israel and Judah. And you start tracking the history of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Israel, until Israel is completely destroyed and it's just left Judah uh, with the city and the temple. 
And it was during this time, you know, that God spoke through the prophets, that historical period, saying, repent, turn, repent, turn, repent, turn, repent, turn. But one was more wicked than the other, one was, and then became more evil. And Talat got to a point where God said, even if you repent now, it's too late. Your sins have reached the full. And um, so they go off into exile. So I'm going to just expand this a little bit, okay? So they go off into the exile, into deportation. And then in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, sees a statue. We touched on it last week. Head of gold, chest and arms of silver, torso, kind of waist, bronze, legs, um, iron, and then the feet of iron and clay mixed. And they were successive empires that were coming. And the first one, because remember I said if you lay it down, it would become a timeline. So the first one, the head of gold, was Babylon, okay? And then the torso was Medo-Persia. Then the brass waist was the Grecian Empire. And then the legs, and that was iron, and that was Rome. And it was in the time of those kings that Daniel sees a rock cut out, and it comes down and it strikes the statue. The statue crumbles and falls. And uh, that rock just grows and fills the whole earth. And that, he explains, and he says, that is the kingdom of God. And so that's the thing. Later on, he has dreams and visions, and then he sees these animals coming out of the sea, you know? The sea means they were coming out from the nations. And so he sees these beasts coming out. And the first one he sees was a lion. Well, that was Babylon. Then he sees the bear. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. And then he sees a leopard. And that's the Grecian Empire. And then he sees this monster. Let's just call it a beast, iron teeth, terrible thing. And that was Rome. Later on, I think it's in chapter 8, he sees a ram and a he-goat. And he talks a little bit about those. And so these different animals, these different empires that were coming were relevant to him. Is that okay? Now, was he seeing far into the distant future, into the 2000s? Around our time. No, he wasn't. Because God spoke to him in, in uh, Daniel chapter 9 and in Daniel chapter 12. And in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel comes and reveals to him that 70 years or 70 weeks of seven, or 70 weeks are decreed, which a week is seven. So 70 times seven time period has been decreed for you and your people. And remember I said last week, he said, it's been decreed for your people, your city, the implication is your temple, not another, not America, not the United Nations, okay, not the European Union, thy people, thy city, thy temple, is that okay, 70 weeks, and he said, know this, from the issuing forth of the decree to rebuild, now that was during the Medo-Persian period under King Cyrus, when the decree was issued, and Isaiah prophesying centuries before calls him Cyrus, the Lord's anointed, because God used him to issue the decree. And he says, start going back, start rebuilding the temple. Now, a lot of this had to do with our wonderful man, Daniel, because when he read in Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29, God says 70 years, he's working out and going like, oh my goodness, we've got to start going back. And he starts praying from Daniel chapter 9. He set himself to start praying specifically, he was already a man of prayer, but specifically for the nation. And so from that time onwards to there was a period of 490 years. Okay, there was about 490 years. You know, the last week, it ended there, and then he talks about another one week where in the middle of it, you know, Messiah will be cut off and break covenant and things like that. But that we'll explain later. How many of you know that it's not going to be an antichrist? He's going to come up and set up this thing and peace with everybody. In the middle of the three and a half years, he's going to break this peace agreement. Then the monster's going to be revealed, and then there's going to be... I don't want to even bore you with that stuff, because that's horrible stuff. It's just lies, okay? But how many of you know, when Jesus died, that was when the covenant with Israel was broken? When Jesus died, God was in Christ. He was released from the law of marriage to Israel. Romans chapter 7, he was free to marry again the bride. Is that okay? 
And so I don't want to go into all that. All I want to do is show you this and then just take it a little bit further, okay? So it was 490 years, which more or less takes us to plus minus 8027. I did some research. So it more or less takes up, and, and I also got this from Annalise, more or less takes us up to the stoning of Stephen, where the church really began. Is that okay? Whew, take a deep breath and go, yeah, that's amazing. So 490 years. So it takes us up to there. The whole thing was God began to speak about a day of vengeance. He began to speak about a day of great darkness. He began to speak about a day of his wrath. And that was fulfilled in AD 70. And so why was the book sealed? Who sealed it? When was it sealed? So from the fall, from Adam, the world was plunged into King James's vanity. Let's have a look at Romans 8.20, King James. And he says, for the creation was made subject to vanity. Now, remember that Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. <laughs> That's not a book you read when you're depressed. Yeah. I'm really down. What should I read? Vanity, vanity, everything is just, everything's pointless. Everything's <laughs> That's what he was considering without life, without God. Okay? And he says, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. So creation, after the fall, was subject to, let me use another word, frustration. Frustration. Not because it wanted to be frustrated, but it was subjected by the will of someone, by the will of God. But in the process of being subjected to this period of frustration and vanity, it was subjected in a condition called hope. Everybody say hope. You know that in the heart of every man, hope springs eternal. Isn't it incredible how the human spirit, we've watched just natural, normal, you know, not even people with the spirit of God and how hope springs eternally in their hearts. There's hope inside of people. But at the same time, there's a frustration because, you know, people would always be reaching for more, never attaining. That was part of the effects of the fall. But then along came Moses and got the revelation, and the law came. And part of the purpose for the revelation of the law was to reveal the righteousness of God, which revealed the image of God. It had a limited restraint on sin. It put a restraining order on death. It was instituted as a temporary measure basically to show people you can't do the Babel thing. You can't do the Adam and Eve thing with fig leaves. You can't get into self-righteous religion. And so it was also rules by which uh, the people of God would now begin to live and to live to an extent purely because God would have to fulfill His promise to Adam and to Eve that He was going to bring forth from them a seed and this seed will crush the head of the serpent and there was going to be some revenge taken on the work of the enemy bringing sin and sickness and death into the world. And so He needed to form a people that would govern and rule by something because His plan was then to bring the seed. The seed would come. The seed would come. Now, it's really amazing that when you go through the whole Bible, you see how God, in His great power, in His great wisdom, His great ability, was able to navigate the shenanigans of man, the scheming of man, the plots of man, energized by the devil, and He was able to work His plan all the way through and bring it out perfectly at the end. Isn't that awesome? So much so that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul makes a statement, an incredibly triumphant statement, an amazing statement, an earth-shattering, shaking statement that's underplayed, if you don't get it, in the fullness of time. God brought forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in the fullness of time. In other words, it didn't matter what was happening here in the world with all of these things, and empires, and people with um, global vision, you know, imperialism and expansionism, we're going to conquer the world, and all of this kind of thing. And God is saying, listen, I've cut a rock out. Amen? I've pronounced judgment in favor of the saints last week's message. You can do what you want to do, Satan. You're on a short leash. Amen? 
and you, you know. And so all of this is going on, and God is confidently bringing him through. If you want to see the disposition of God through all of this stuff, you can read it in Psalm 2, where it says, you know, why do the people rage and, you know, conspire, and the kings take their stand against the Lord and his anointed one, and then it says, and the one sits in heaven, and he laughs. <laughs> Do what you must do. <laughs> to all of that, to all of that, we read, and this is like, this is chaos, this is terrible, this is terrible. What's going okay? I know what's happening. Got it under control. It's okay. It's okay. And I've got to say this. Early this morning, the Lord just reminded me. Last week when we sang that, little bitty song that we used to sing many years ago. He's got the whole world. I can't tell you how many people responded on live stream to that. Said, wow, he's got, he's got, he's got the whole world in his hand. You know, there's a, the greatest human fear, I believe. There, I mean, there's, there's all, all kinds of things, but it's a particular place of being, you know, rejection and all of that kind of thing is great fear, great fear. It's like a, a sense of abandonment and things like this. Great human fear is this, is to be out of control, where I'm not in control of my life. And it's terrible. It's terrible if you're in an abusive relationship. It's terrible because you feel like you don't have control. It's terrible to be in a situation where You've got no say of your life. You've got no control. You feel like you're out in deep water and your feet don't touch the bottom. Because if I could just touch the bottom in this tide, I will feel, okay, I've got some footing. But when you're out there and you've got no point of reference, that sense of I'm out of control, and this is where a lot of control issues come in in our lives, we will then try to control people around us. We try to control them, make them act predictably. Because if you're unpredictable, I feel threatened. And so it's where the Jezebel spirit comes up in church. You know, it's going, I will control you. You know, the Jezebel spirit comes and it's I will control because, and especially you don't find Jezebel spirits in religious dead churches because it's controlled by religion. It's predictable. It's one of the reasons why even we, spiritful people, fear the moving of the Holy Spirit because you can't control Him. You can't predict Him. He comes from wherever and He goes wherever. He's like the wind blowing. And that's why a little bit of, you know, when the Spirit begins to move, there's a lot of threatening going on. There's a whole lot of sh 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 shaking going on. Because He says, so what? Let me take you. Let me knock you out. Let me put you on the floor. Let me roll you around laughing and look ridiculous in front of everybody. Hair out of all place and, you know, your shoes scuffed and things like this. And everybody's sitting watching you and you are spectator value of note. And then you start going like, he's not ever going to do that to me. Well, why? Why? He's safe. He's a powerful God. He knows what he's doing. It's because I don't want to be actually out of control. I don't want to give the reins over to him. So I want to tell him what to do. So I'll giggle a little bit, <laughs> but I, I'm not falling. So we fear being out of control. But I want to tell you something behind all of this, and that's why it struck a chord. It's because we can't determine what deep state does. We can't determine what the Illuminati does. But in a sense, we can. We can't, but listen, we serve a God who's got them all in His hand. So you are not alone, and you're not out of control. He's in control. And He's looking after you. Amen? If one thing that we learn from this, that Nebuchadnezzar came, and then you know, the Medo-Persian Empire came, Darius and Artaxerxes and, and, and Cyrus and all of these guys. And then eventually Alexander the Great, then all the Caesars. And they're persecuting the church and they're smashing the kingdom up. And it was given over to them for a while to do. But God said, but listen, I've made a judgment. It's only for a little while. And it's to bring the judgment that needs to come on them. But listen, for all of those who serve me, I've got you in my hand. Is that okay?
And so we don't have to feel abandoned. We don't have to feel threatened. But what we got to do is we've got to lift our vision and lift our eyes, and we've got to get our faith in God and understand, you know, I'm engraved in the palm of His hand. He knows my name. He's counted the number of my hair on my head. He knows me. Amen. I am safe and secure. And the Bible is so full of it, but underneath are the everlasting arms. He's on my left and my right. He's in front of me. He's behind me. He's above me. He's in me. He's all around me. I am secure in God. And Paul tells us that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Surely, church, that should give us as Christians some sense of security in this world. Surely it should. I'm part of an eternal kingdom that's never going to end. Is that okay? Do you get something at least? And so, so let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 is a powerful verse. Powerful, powerful verse. You know that, remember what I said in, in um, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus said, you've prepared a body for me. You don't want sacrifices and offerings. This is the body. This is going to be the sacrifice and the offering. I've come to do your will. It's written about me in the volume of the book, which means that there's not a verse in the Bible that's irrelevant to the story. And if you take it out of context, it's still good. But if you put it in its context, it's even better. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Everybody say secret things. Secrets belong to God. Now, it's not those little secrets you tell your friend. It's the mysteries in the Bible. So secrets or mysteries belong to God. But the revealed things, the revealed things, they belong to us. So is that what it says? The revealed things belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so there was things that were concealed, but there were things that were revealed. Now, God's intention was that the whole of the law would be revealed, and He wanted them to understand His will. Is that okay? But as long as it's revealed, it's no longer a mystery. If it's revealed, it's not a secret. Okay? I just want to tell you a secret, but don't tell that person. And then blow me down. She goes and tells that person. Now it's no longer our secret. (laughs) And so when it's revealed, listen, listen, listen. When it's revealed, it's manifest. Okay, are you with me now? I know where I am. And that is, I asked the question, this book that was in the right hand of God, who sealed it? When was it sealed? Why was it sealed? Maybe next week or the week after we'll answer, for how long was it sealed? But anyway, I think we'll maybe touch on that now. But go with me to Isaiah 46 verse 10, just a very quick verse that says, God says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. In other words, the end was decreed from the beginning. So for Israel very much, Isaiah is prophesying this. Isaiah is prophesying very much about Israel, saying, your end has been determined by your beginning. Come on, church. Your end has been determined by your beginning. Now, there's a whole sermon in here that I'm resisting preaching right now. So, your end is determined by your beginning. And... Um, you know, and a lot of people say, and it, it is true for us, that it's not the way you start, it's the way you finish. But what you've got to do is keep progressing. Amen. And it's why we train children, because the end will be like the beginning. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of <laughs> correction drives it far from them. Because you don't want the end to be determined by the beginning. So it's a little bit like Israel. But then go with me to Deuteronomy 32. If you go to Deuteronomy 31, the very last verse, God gets Moses to read the law again. That's why it's the book of Deuteronomy, which means the second reading of the law. Okay? So the book of Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the promised land. So he says, okay, you're going to go into the land of promise. Let me just remind you what God said. Okay? If you do right, all is well. If you do, okay? So all of Deuteronomy 32, 
Moses sang a prophecy. It's called the Song of Moses. Everyone say the Song of Moses. And so he sings this entire song. Man, this song is amazing. Because, you know, he, he says things like this. Are you all ready? I'm going to fly through them. Deuteronomy 32, he says, they have corrupted themselves. He's singing to the people, basically. He says, you've corrupted yourselves. Your spot is not the spot of his children. You are a perverse and a crooked generation. How many times do you hear that through the Bible? He says, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. They forsook God, which made them, and they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange God. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat them, they were unmindful, and they forgotten the God that formed them. You know, this is in a song. Imagine me standing up and saying, this is the sermon, and I'm going to sing it. Well, that would be terrible to start with. But then I start singing things like this to you and saying, God says, God says he will hide his face from you. And then he says, and you will see what your end will be. For they are, you are a very forward generation, children in whom there is no faith. You have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. You've provoked me to anger with your vanities. And I will move you now. Listen to this. I will move you to jealousy with those who are not a people. I will provoke you to anger with a foolish nation. That's us. That's the Christians. That's Hosea. I will call them a people and not my people. Is that all right? And God says, I'm going to provoke you to anger by choosing a nation that you call useless, forgotten, forlorn, abandoned, foolish. I will choose them, and they will be different. Aren't you so glad? And then he goes on. You'll be burnt with hunger, devoured with burning heat, with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. You wonder why Daniel's vision was of a monster with iron teeth. Every word, every word fulfilled. Very specific. And how many of you know, he says, basically, the poison of serpents. It's poison of serpents of the dust. And, um, you know, he comes along and he calls the scribes, the Pharisees, he calls them a brood of vipers. So you're being poisoned by your own religion. He says, the sword without, terror within, shall destroy both the young man, the virgin, the suckling, also the man of gray hairs. I said I would scatter them into the corners, and I'd make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. They are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. In a song, a prophecy. And he keeps saying, your end. If you understood, you would change your end. You would change the outcome. Everybody follow me, Chuck? Is it too much or are you, you're getting it? You're getting it. All right, it's going to get better, I promise you. And so listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 34. Listen to what God says. He says, okay. More or less what he's trying to say, I try to bring you revelation. I try to open myself up. I try to show you myself. I try to show you my character, my nature, my ability. I fed you. I mean, there's awesome verses in between, like, you're the apple of my eye. I brought you up on eagle's wings. There's beautiful verses in there. This is how I felt about you. I fathered you. I mean, there's tender verses. But he goes on to say to them, but you rejected me. You forsook me, the true rock. You went off to other gods. You even sacrificed to demons. And, and you keep on rejecting me. You, you've got no understanding. You're void of counsel. In other words, he was saying, you're blind. And there's none so blind as those who will not see. And listen what God says in verse 34. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up amongst my treasures? So God says, it's not that you couldn't see. It's that you wouldn't see. You didn't want to change. You didn't want to. I mean, did he not say, if all the wonders wrought in you were wrought in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But you would not. 
So he says, okay, because you wouldn't, it's all taken and sealed up. So the book became sealed. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, as long as Moses is read, there's a veil. So God said, I made it open to give it to you. I revealed it so that it would be for you and your children and your children's children so that you could do what was in the law. But you would not. You went after other gods. You sacrificed the demons. Now I take it back and I store it up as a treasure now which is mine. So now the secret things belong to God. No more revelation. Are you all getting it? So suddenly the open book became a sealed book. Deuteronomy 32. Amazing thing is that as we go through history, and we go through all of this period, Israel was the mystery, but they didn't see it. They were the secret of God. They didn't see it. They had the priesthood. It prefigured the high priest and the priesthood. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had the tabernacle. They had everything. Their names, the rich treasure of revelation that was within them as a people, within their lives, within their sacrificial system, within their religious system. The great truths, it's all hidden to them. To this day, I mean, today is the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, and they're celebrating the Day of Atonement one day, you know, one day, one day. But the Day of Atonement came. But he has all this stuff within themselves. It's a mystery to them. It's closed. So Jesus comes along. And he starts teaching. Yeah. Everything he's teaching, he teaches in parables. Yeah. Tells a little story. Yeah. And he tells these parables. I just want to tell you about the kingdom. A sower went out to sow seed. Yeah. And the disciples come to him and they go, Jesus, why is it that you tell everything in parables? Why is it that you say, I mean, everything's in, why? Well, remember what I said, if you find a prophecy, join it to a prophecy, and then it becomes complete. So look at this in uh, Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, 8 to 11, this is when the year that King Uzziah died, and Uzziah is caught up and he sees, you know, the, you know, in the Holy of Holies, he sees God high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple, angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And then, you know, he goes, woe is me, I'm a man undone, a man of unclean lips. You know the story? And then he hears the voice of God saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. But his lips have been touched with the fire, so he's been cleansed. And then God says, I'm sending you to your people. But listen to what his mission is. <laughs> you can be thankful that God doesn't call you and tell you, I'm going to send you somewhere like this. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said, I, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And then I said, Lord, well, how long are they going to be so doff? I mean. And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate until then. Sealed book. Their end. Daniel 9, Daniel 12. So listen. So the disciples asked Jesus this question in Matthew 13, verse 10 to 17. The disciples came and said, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, He said, Because it is given unto you to know. Was that good? The mysteries of the kingdom. Everyone say the mysteries of the kingdom. All right. I don't know how far we're going to get, but let me just throw it in here. So in other words, why do you speak to them in parables? He was saying, it's not given to them to understand. It's given unto you to understand. Was God being vindictive? No, because they still would not listen. Because he told all the parables. Not one scribe, not one Pharisee came and said, um, I don't really know what that means. Can you tell me? Who came and asked him? The disciples. 
What do you mean by this? He says, don't you understand? If you don't understand this, you don't understand any of the parables of the kingdom. Let me explain this. So I went outside. What was the difference? They couldn't see, but it didn't mean they didn't want to see. They couldn't see, but they wanted to see. Is that okay? And when they went and asked, he's told them, and they're going, like, oh, well, yeah, we knew that. That's pretty simple. So it's not could not see or would not see, you know. So the, the Pharisees were would not sees. And then he said, because given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to just very quickly just throw this in here. I'm sure I'm going to get to it. Everybody say mysteries. Who do the mysteries belong to? When it becomes manifest, it's revelation. Then who does it belong to? To us and our children. We can pass it on. And he says, there's quite a few things in the Bible that are called mysteries. There's the mysteries of the secrets of the kingdom. There's the mystery of the Father and the Son, Colossians 2.2. 2. There's the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians. There is the mystery of Babylon the Great, the Great Hall. There is a couple of other mysteries. And then there's the mystery of godliness. And all of these mysteries, Jesus opened. There's one mystery that's only partially opened. In a couple of weeks' time, I'll tell you what that mystery is. He says, but to them it is not given. For whoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more in abundance. But whoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now, this is not talking about money. It's talking about revelation. He says, the one who's got revelation, God will give more revelation. Because in his light there is light. The entrance of his word gives light. And he says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that's Isaiah 6 that we read, which says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people is waxed gross, and their hearts are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with the eyes and hear with the ears and should understand with the heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets, many prophets, many righteous men, longed to see what you now see. Many righteous men, many prophets, desire to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Isn't that amazing? Aren't we in a privileged place? Their eyes couldn't see, and it was because they closed their eyes. Part of it was their judgment because they would not see. So God confirmed them in their blindness. And then he took back the treasure, the mystery, and he kept it to himself. And he said, it's okay. There's coming a day. There's coming a people. And their eyes will be open. Their hearts will be ready. They shall see. And it's really interesting. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this. I think it's around about verse 7. And Paul talks about, he said, the things that I'm speaking to you, it's the mystery of God. It's, it's another mystery. The thing that I'm speaking to you, it's, a, it's God's, there it is. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So the mystery of God is his wisdom, which Jesus revealed. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. All right, so can I just say something very quickly? So in other words, Deuteronomy 32, 34, God said, all right, I'm taking it back. It's now sealed. This is mine. When he comes all the way over past the cross into the New Testament, the Spirit is poured out and given. I won't have time to get onto that. And he says, my secret wisdom, hidden ages and generations. Before the world even began, I ordained it for your glory. And so it goes on in the next verse to say this, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, he goes on, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep, hidden, mystery, 
concealed things of God. The Spirit searches them all. And then He comes and in Christ makes them manifest. And they're given to us in revelation. Now they're ours. Hallelujah. Amen. So the time is coming and we're going to have a look at book unsealed, book unsealed, book unsealed. So I want you to just very quickly, just follow me. So in Daniel, Daniel starts to pray. We're back with Daniel. He's praying and he's looking. He's reading Jeremiah 25, 29, 70 years, 70 years. And he starts to pray and he starts going, God help me to understand. He sees these beasts coming up and, and he sees them. The angel comes and interprets them, the kingdoms and nations that will come. And he says, from the going forth of the decree, 490 years, it's going to take you up to the time of Messiah, your people, your city, your temple. And suddenly, doom, the secret thing is revealed. And Daniel goes, oh my gosh, I can see it from the beginning. I can see all the way through to the end. I can see right up to the time of Messiah. I can see what the end will be. And God says to him through the angel, those are the latter days. Those are the latter days. Those are the latter days. Those, then, just before Jesus comes, those are the latter days. Everybody say the latter days. So how many know the latter days is not now or in a few years' time? That was the latter days. That's why even Peter says, quoting Joel chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, God says, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. So when was the last days? Right up there to, at Pentecost, when he poured out the Spirit. Everybody said the last days was up to Pentecost. Is that okay? So the last days are not still coming. It's the last days where up until in the last days I will pour out my spirit. The last days of that period, you know, where God was working everything out. After that, there is no more times and seasons. We're in the day of Christ. Is that okay? Woo-hoo. Hallelujah. And so Daniel sees it. Daniel goes, oh, my word, 490 years. Yeah, 70 weeks of seven. God, you've been so patient with Israel. You've been so merciful for generation after generation after generation, and you're still giving us 490 years. And then Jesus comes, and he comes to his own. His own still receives him not. And they then crucify him. And he says, you are sending me to my hour of darkness. And because they then sent him to his hour, then came on them the day of vengeance. We God finished it. Up to AD 70. So after Jesus, God gives them another 40 years. Yeah. That's called the patience yeah. of Christ. Because he didn't just go obliterate there. He gave them time. John tells us in John chapter 1, he still came to his own, his own received him not. That period there, the 40 years, is called the patience of Christ. That's what Peter was talking about when he said, God is patient. God is not willing that any man should perish. That's why a thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. I want you all to come to repentance. You know, right up until the destruction of Jerusalem, God was incredibly patient until it all ended. Daniel goes, I can see, I can see. He's making a record in writing. Gabriel comes and says, it's not for now. Seal it up. Seal it. It's open to you because you've sorted. it. But don't make it plain. It's got to remain sealed. Then Jesus, the moment he dies on the cross, the roaring lion, conquered by becoming the lamb, and suddenly he stands up. He is the volume of the book. He is the book. Amen? Suddenly we understand who this Christ is, who the Messiah is, and suddenly the book is open. But as it opens, the seals are broken open. But he has to finish what he promised, what he said, what he decreed. And so the Jews then go into the day of judgment. So it's very interesting. In Luke 4, chapter 18, Jesus goes to the temple and he's going to go and read. The scribe hands him the scroll, and he looks and goes, on time, right on time, perfect timing. Woo! Gives him the book of Isaiah, and he goes, funny, but I just had a sense that today was a significant day. Rolls open the scroll of Isaiah, and he goes to Isaiah 61. And he goes, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to release prisoners. Open the eyes of the blind. Who was he talking to? He was talking to them, the religious people. I can get you out of this prison. I can open your blind eyes. I can give you understanding. I can heal you because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
and he says, and I'm anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. In other words, you Jews, you Sanhedrin, you Pharisees, there is still time if you will repent. God can heal you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to do this. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was their response? Who is this guy? He's the carpenter's son. They take him to go and throw him over a hill, and he escapes out because it wasn't his time to die, nor the way to die. They rejected him again. He stops halfway through. He doesn't read the next line and the day of his vengeance. You know the whole story how he goes to the cross. Now he weeps over Jerusalem. And he goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you. If only, if only you'd recognize the day of your visitation, but you would not. Luke's gospel records the coming destruction when the temple will be destroyed. This is now the vengeance of God because you rejected me. And so the scroll opening was the final judgment upon Israel, but also it was the removal of the old system of religion because Israel worshipped the form and forgot the person. They got involved in the system, but they forgot God, and they were wrapped up in the system. They're still going with the same system. They still cannot see God. But God's purpose was, let me remove the old to establish the new because there's a people in whom I will put my spirit. From them I will make up my treasured possession. Them I will open the scroll. And break the seals. And so he opened the book, the scroll, the seals were all open. I want to just just throw something in here. We're excited by the fact. It's wonderful that we are the chosen. It's wonderful that our eyes are open. It's wonderful. But we do need to pray, not only for the Jews, but for everybody whose eyes are still closed. But I want to just throw something at you. Luke says this. He makes an observation concerning the scribes, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. He makes an observation. They knew that John was the forerunner. They knew he was in the spirit and power of Elijah. They knew that. They knew that. But he came preaching a message of repentance and baptism. It was to prepare them to accept the Messiah. And in words to the effect, words to the effect, Jesus says to them, Do you know why you can't accept my words? He says, because you have rejected the counsel of God for your lives, and you've refused to be baptized by John. And any encouragement we can take out of this, out of the negativity of Israel is this, is that we can take out, don't reject any aspect of revelation that God gives us. Everything is a progression. Everything, God builds on it. Amen? So you can't say, okay, God, I've kind of had a look. I've shopped through this Christian thing, and I'll take that and that, but uh, this thing I'll leave, and uh, um, you are not that, you know. I won't take that. I remember um, during the Toronto revival, which was breaking out so bad, a lady came forward, and there was this particular preacher. I'd seen him in Canada, and uh, he came here. He was in South Africa. And um, he was ministering in a church in South Africa. I was watching the video. And a lady came forward, and she so desperately wanted to be touched by God. And in that meeting, people were falling on the ground, laughing, just being very, um, you know, just not very demure and, and polished and, you know, and all that kind of thing. And it was pandemonium in the church. And she came forward, and uh, she came up to the preacher, and she said, I want what they got, but I don't want to do what they're doing. So he says, oh, I understand, I understand. You're the kind of person that comes up and says, God, I want the hamburger, but leave off the onions and the lettuce and the tomato and put on the... He says, she said, if you want what they got, she says, honey, you need to do what they're doing. <laughs> she says, you know, and then he laid hands on her and she fell down under the power and started laughing because she got it. And so people want to come and pick and choose. I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this. If you reject the counsel of God, come on, church. I'm sounding something to us. If we reject the counsel of God in an area, it can lead to a seared conscience, and it can prevent you from going on with God. 
Amen. We had a lady in our church, and I don't know for what reason, during that powerful move of the Spirit in 94, 95, and God was doing incredible things, and she never once, she was totally unmoved. God never touched her once, yet she desperately wanted to be, you know, um, have an encounter with God. She really wanted to. But all her life, and she'd grown up in a Christian home, she refused to be baptized. She said, I will not, I love God, serve God, but I'm not being baptized. And God couldn't get through to her. She was rejecting the counsel of God by being water baptized. And her breakthrough came when she said, she gave in one day and she said, okay, I want to be baptized. I mean, her husband nearly fell off his chair. And we baptized and after that she had the most powerful breakthrough with the Lord. You cannot reject the counsel of God in any area and think that you're going to progress and grow with the Lord. Amen? Come on. We don't want, God doesn't want secret things. If we go through the study and we have a look at God doesn't want to keep anything back as a secret. God doesn't want any mystery kept and hidden in himself. That's why he opened the book. All right, I'm going to just throw it there because you've been so awesome. All right, the book open is Christ. Is that okay? And you are written into that book when you become a Christian, you are placed into the book, into Christ. Is that right? Christ in you, you are in the book. You're in the open life of Christ. Awesome. And the next great revelation that is coming, that is still partly a mystery, is you. It's the hope of glory. So the next great mystery that the whole world is looking for, that which Moses saw and wanted to be and he couldn't be, you're it and me. And it's busy being unveiled and opened up. That's why we cannot reject the counsels of God for our life because this glory is to be revealed. Come on, it's why we were given the earnest. It's why we were given the deposit for the redemption, the adoption, our inheritance. So that because creation is looking forward and groaning in earnest, eager anticipation with travail and saying, where's the sons of God? The revelation that is still a mystery is us in full sonship. And that's where we're going. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Are we starting to understand it now? Are we starting to see it? Amen. When the Christ was opened, when the seals were broken. Remember, the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. They're in order of importance. So Revelations 5, the seals open as Christ. Well, then you go back to Revelations chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The open book. Amen. Did you get it? Come on, say there's a treasure in this earthen vessel. It is the full glory the full power of the only begotten Son. I was predestined, foreknown, chosen, justified to be conformed to the image of the Son. In hope I was saved, given the earnest, the deposit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit until the redemption of this body, the salvation of my soul, that I stand up a fully matured, fully revealed Son of the Most High God, and we will redeem creation. Come on, how many of you want a verse, another verse for the fact that we will redeem creation? Can I give you one? God was about to destroy the earth, and He said, but I need creation redeemed. So He finds Noah, and He says, put animals in it. Your salvation and my salvation includes creation. That was a good verse for you to say, amen. You never saw that before, did you? Ever, 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 ever. So God redeemed creation, and he gave it to Noah as his inheritance. Noah owned the whole world. 100% shareholder in the planet. Come on, we're going to redeem creation. So creation is going, oh, come on, ACF. Yeah, we want the revelation. We're starting to see it, but come on, get it. Don't let it remain sealed. Amen. Let it be revealed, manifest. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. But what we will be, it's a little bit of a secret mystery. But we know this, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Come on, this is good. This is good. 
Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your great grace. We're sitting here with all the power of the Godhead dwelling inside us in bodily form. We've been made the head over every authority, every power. You've given us dominion. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. You've crowned him with glory and honor. And that glory, you said earlier in Psalm 8, Lord, you said, I set my glory above the heavens. Four more times in the Psalms, you said, your glory is above the heavens. It's above the heavens. It's above the heavens. And Father, I want to thank you that in me is the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a container of this heavenly treasure. Thank you, Lord, that you are conforming me to the very image of your Son. You're bringing me into the full stature, full measure, complete image and stature of Christ himself. This is what creation is groaning for. That's why there are wicked people manipulating viruses and, and vaccines. It's because they haven't seen the revelation of the sons of God. And they're playing God. But Father, I want to thank you. The time is coming for the revelation of the sons of God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to thank you for the scroll that's written within and without. Thank you for the was. Thank you that the is. But Lord, we're looking at the is to comes. We're looking at the little scroll in Revelations 10 in the hand of the angel, the eternal gospel that we've got to proclaim. We're looking at, Lord, living epistles. I'm looking at living epistles, known and read of all, written not on stony hearts with chisels and, and ink, but with the Spirit written onto flesh hearts. Lord, new covenant hearts. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We all agreed and said, Amen. Amen. So bless you. The Lord continue to bless you and increase you. You are in the year of His favor, the acceptable year of the Lord. There is no day of vengeance for you. The day of vengeance happened. There is no time of antichrist for you and marks of the beast for you. That all happened, but you are marked with His name on your forehead and on your hand. You have His name, His nature, His character on you. And uh, that's why the four winds were to hold back and tell everybody Every saint was sealed with the mark of God. Come on, we carry sons, Amen. sons, sons in Amen. our thinking, sons in our works. We are sons of the Most High God. Amen. There is no judgment for us. There is no antichrist. There is no mark of the beast, no buying or selling. There's none of that. All fulfilled. We are the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are written into the book. We are in Christ, and Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. As, are you starting to understand something? Are the pieces falling together now? Okay, somebody, a pastor phoned me this week and he said, please will you tell me about Gog and Magog and things like this. Because a lot of people are talking about, you know, in Afrikaans, Hoch and Machoch. just sounds like a lot of Hochos to me. But Gog and Magog, is it future? Is it happen? It's fulfilled. It's all fulfilled. It's all fulfilled. All the law, all the prophets were until the time of Christ. Then came the opening of the book. And uh, we are in the day of Christ. We are in the world without end. Yeah. We are in that period of the rock not cut out by human hands that is filling the whole earth. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God that will stand up with revelation and power and redeem the planet. Amen? Amen. There's no Russia. There's no whatever that's going to take over the world. Yes, kingdoms will come. Kingdoms will fall. Yes, they will, they will do all their stuff. But God's kingdom will be established, reign triumphant. And John sees it in Revelation 13. The kingdoms of this world now are the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And we are the kings and priests that will reign. It. Amen. Come on, there's no devils. There's no demons that have got high authority than you. Nothing. There's not a sickness. There's not nothing that has got higher authority. You are it. You are God's influence in this world. You are the ones that He works through. Is that okay? It's your prayers. It's your presence. It's your testimony that God is working through to establish. There's not a devil, not a demon. Every angel is even subject to you. Even Michael and Gabriel, no matter how powerful they are, listen to you because they are servants and you are sons. Is that all right? Come on, you got the highest authority. Paul tells us that, the highest authority. You can chase any devil, any demon, anywhere, anytime. I wish that you could see that when you walk into a place, demons run out. 
I wish that you could see that. I wish you could see how they tremble and hide when you come because you're the light of this world. You're the salt of the earth. Amen? You are the kingdom inside of you. The kingdom of God is greater than anything. I wish that you could see how they tremble and just try and hide, and they will do anything not to be revealed to you because they are afraid of the authority that you have. We are not victims in this world. We are victors. Amen. Bless you. Have an awesome week. And just whenever you feel out of control, I'm serious. I know that I'm speaking because a lot of people have felt that. I know that. I mean, early this morning, the Lord spoke to me, and He told me to, to put that into the message. Whenever you feel out of control, become like a child. He's got my whole world. In His hands, He's got my whole world. In his hands he's got my whole world. In his hands he's got my whole world in his hands. And just hold yourself and tell yourself, hey, he's on my side. He knows me. I'm engraved in the palm of his hand. I'm the apple of his eye. If he said that to Israel, how much more us? Who are his sons? Just see it like that. See, he's got me. He's got me. He's got me, he's got me, he's got me, he's got me. He's got me, he's never going to let me fall. He's got me, he's got me, he's got me. So I speak peace to wherever you feel out of control, threatened, worried. Speak the peace of Almighty God in Jesus' name. Bless you. Amen.